Hi, everybody. That seemed super enthusiastic, but <laughs> maybe you just needed a little pick-me-up. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Stefan Tager. This is the Revival Podcast. If you if this is your first time, hi. This comes out every Tuesday because it's now verified. If you're if you've been listening, I've now like verified by multiple sources that Tuesday is the day of double blessing. That like that's a legit thing. Remember last week when I wasn't sure, but I'm verified. Okay. <laughs> I just want you to know. Um, we are just wanting to encourage you um, on your faith journey. We think living a life of faith is meaningful and it's um, exciting and thrilling. And each week we actually go over a uh, conference talk um, because we've at this point forgotten every single thing that everybody said. And so it's great once a week to get a reminder and, and just be encouraged in our walk of faith with these. Be revived. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Um, Stephen, you feeling good? I feel great. Okay, good. It's summertime, and oh, it's so hot. But I love the hot. Do you really? Mm-hmm. I hate it, and then I love it. Like, my memories of it are so good, because I'm like, oh, I just, I'd rather be hot than cold. That is true. So, mm. that's, yeah. Okay, speaking of not that, but <laughs> <laughs> All right, the talk that we're looking at today is this one called The Imperfect Harvest. Um, by Elder Vern P. Stanfield from Montana. I think he's, was it Montana? Southwest Montana. Southwest Montana. Because he gives this analogy at the beginning about the harvest. And oh, let's just say this as a side note, because I had this thought I was telling you earlier about this talk where he, I'm not a farmer, y'all. And I've never been a farmer. Like I get all my stuff from Costco and like everybody, like, so I'm so disconnected to harvest, but to hear farmer people, like Elder Stanfield talk about the harvest. I was like, like it was everything to their family, the harvest. Like it's something they obsessed over, they cried over it, they prayed over it, they were excited over it. And I've never felt that way about a harvest. Like I've never, ever cared about a harvest. Do you have a garden? You what? said you don't have a garden, right? I've tried a couple of times, but I... What did you try to grow? I'm not going to tell you that because zucchini and pumpkins and they failed. And my farmer neighbor said to me, David, I could grow a zucchini on your driveway. So the fact that you couldn't do that is ridiculous. What is it about our people that we always feel like we're being super charitable if we give away zucchini to someone? That's terrible. <laughs> I think it's, I, and I don't even like zucchini. Sorry. Don't at me, everybody. I can't do it. But I, because I get all my food from the store, I've never prayed over the harvest before or anything. And I realized if you go back 2,000 years, Jesus talking about the harvest, he always talks about his people in comparison with the harvest. And I and I, I realized reading the beginning of this talk, I was like, oh, he's comparing us to a harvest because we are the most important thing to him. We are his lifeblood. We are his, like, the thing he obsesses over, prays over, cries over. Like, And I, I don't know, it's just the first time in my life where I've thought, Oh, I actually love that Jesus wants to compare people to a harvest now because it was the most, it's him comparing us to the most important thing, life or death. It's, we're life or death to him. Yeah. And I was like, that's so cool. You know, it's so often, so often we see people who say, you know, the fruits of their labors might be like a new job or a new house or something, but it's so amazing that our God the fruits of his label are actually the development of souls that people yeah. become more loving more free, uh, more creative. That's, that's the harvest to him. That's, that's, 
uh, what he's working towards. And I think we could maybe take note from a God who can do anything and go anywhere and spend his time in any way that the, what he decides to spend his time on is people thrills his soul the most. It's almost one of those things like, oh, perhaps if my life is lacking a little bit of thrill, I could take note from that and just say, oh, how about you invest in the souls of men a little bit more and maybe you'll see. Anyways, that's just a side note to what this you know, whole thing is about. He starts off with a farm analogy, but (laughs) at the end of it, he just essentially says that we have a problem with perfection, um, culturally and churchily, (laughs) but that's a word. And I actually think this is worth noting that obsession with perfectionism is not a Latter-day Saint problem. It's a humanity problem. Right. So people who will obsess over perfection are going to obsess over it in every aspect of their life, including in their faith, right? Absolutely, and I think yeah. that's like, sometimes I feel like a finger is pointed, you know, at Latter-day Saints in particular, like the, you're, a, you're a faith tradition that obsesses over perfection. And it's like, actually, everybody on earth. That's um, a human thing. Yeah, it's right. a humanity yeah, problem. Yeah. Uh, if I were born and raised in another faith tradition, I probably would obsess over perfectionism in that faith tradition also. Right. Um, changing, changing your faith is not going to get rid of the, the real core issues around perfectionism. That's not right. Right. That's, that's not the issue. Yeah. 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 So, and, but I, I actually, what I love about this talk is it, it shows us the good news of the gospel, which is that will actually help with that. Right. That is the solution to perfectionism. I was in this state conference one time and it was a Saturday night session and it was a question and answer with our state president and traveling mic and um, like traveling microphone (laughs) for a second. I thought I was like, just calling my state president traveling mic. I go to that state conference. First question, a lady grabs the microphone and stands up and she starts to cry before she ever gets the question out. And she says, um, I just want to know if I'm doing enough to make it. Am I good enough? And by the look of the room, you could kind of sense that people were uh, relating to that question. They were just like, oh, almost like the nods, you know, where it was just like, and uh, well, first of all, I, (laughs) when she asked the question, I was like, ma'am, you are at a Saturday night church meeting. <laughs> like, I think you're doing great because I like was feeling good about myself that I actually went to the Saturday night meeting. You know, I was like, and she is like just so upset over, man, am I good enough? Am I doing enough to make it? And my first question, I wanted to have the other microphone because I what I wanted to ask her back was, what do you mean by that? You know, what, like when you say, am I doing enough or am I good enough? I wanted to like, okay, explain what you're saying when you're asking that question. Yeah. Like, am I, like, am I, am I doing enough? What for God to like me? Uh, am I good enough for him to accept me? Am I, am I enough for, to be saved? Like, what is it that you're actually asking 
when you ask that question. Yeah, so Elder Stanfield, in line with what you're saying, Dave, he says, perfectionism requires an impossible, self-inflicted standard that compares us to others. And so uh, it seems like often people who struggle with this, somewhere along the line, they've sort of picked up some kind of standard. I have to wake up at this time. I have to do this uh, in the mornings. I have to, you know, they've developed for them. And I'm not talking about setting goals or trying to stretch ourselves, but they have somewhat of a self-inflicted arbitrary standard of, oh, this is a good day. This is a good week. I'm being enough. Right. And I think well, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. If I right. if I hit these certain like right. whatever. And that and that's so unstable because that'll shift according to culture or my own perceptions of what's right and what's wrong. And so just just starting off by asking ourselves the question, where do I get my sense of what is right and what is enough? And where did that come from? It uh, can be one of the first steps in starting to deal with this issue of perfectionism. Yeah, yeah, which is, I actually, he, there almost seems to be two problems in that statement, and we'll save the second one, I think, for later, because he brings it up again, that idea of comparison. Mm. But the first one really does seem to be, and it's just a real quick line, a self-inflicted standard mm. that I think if we were to, you know, if I asked that lady, for example, what do you mean? good enough. She'd be like, well, I don't do this and I don't do this and I don't, and I, and then the next question would be like, and where did you get that benchmark from? Right. Yeah. You know? That's absolutely key. In fact, Elder Stanfield, he says this, the standards are set by a kind and all knowing heavenly father and clearly defined in the covenants we are invited to embrace. Hallelujah. Right. That like, right. I don't, what if we had to set our own standard? Like I would, I would like, if I had to set my own, I think I would worry all day, every day. It was like, did I set that too low or did I set that too high? Yeah. Or did I, you right? Yeah. Like what if I had to set my own? It would be like, ah, so, and so, but we do, people do. Right. Absolutely. All the time, all the time. And so what are the standards? Well, let's just start off at the, the beginning. He says the first principle or I mean, first principle of the gospel is be faithful. Right. And like we, we, if you say it like, oh, I'm not trying to be perfect, but I'm trying to be faithful person. That's like, okay, I get that. I get a sense for that. And I'm moving in that direction. Yeah. Right. Um, someone I'm, I'm, I'm going to quote in just a second. He talks about the difference between goals and values a lot in his um, psychological work at Stephen Hayes. He's a really famous um, psychologist. And he says, values are more like life directions rather than a specific destination. Mm. It's a direction. And so do I, have, I, have I taken up the life direction of faithfulness or repentance, trying to get better, mm. or my baptismal covenants, which means to mourn with those who mourn, right? Stand as a witness of God. And so when I start, when I stop Goals thinking, or what? What were the other ones? Values? Yeah. That yeah was the goals word. versus values. Values yeah. are more like life directions. Like a, I like that. Yeah, I like saying like... I want to live a life of faithfulness. Right. I want to live a life of repentance. I want to live a life of compassion instead of I will be compassionate 10 times per week or right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, the difference yeah. is? And I'm just remembering now, Stephen Hayes, the analogy he uses is so helpful. He says, you don't ever say you've reached West. You go in the direction of West or East and that's, you don't reach faithfulness, right? You go in that direction. Right. Oh, whoa, yeah. Cool. Yeah. He's good. He's good. So, but we, our language is sometimes opposite of that, where like someone will say like, oh, that's a faithful person. Or I'm enough. Am I doing enough? It's like, oh, you've reached it now, right? Ah, yeah, I mean, yeah. Oh, we don't want to be mean, but the, and this is actually sets us up for the best news ever. What's the right answer to that woman in, in state conference? It's like, 
no, <laughs> you're yeah. not. You're right, not, yeah. Right, and like that's kind of liberating when we sort of can start being honest about that and, and it doesn't affect my self-image or my sense of worth. If I can just be like, yeah, I'm not. I'm not perfect. I'm not enough. Right? Yeah, right. I'm just not. Yeah. Right? Huh. Um, I love his next line after that is, and if a person can live by the standards actually set by him, the kind and all-knowing God in heaven, then the promise is it relieves us of the burdens of guilt and inadequacy, always emphasizing who we are in the sight of God, hmm. right? Um, I, like that to me is, it, and I think there's also a temptation to have a self-inflicted standard and to make God the author of it. Yes. Right? Yes. When you've just like, but God expects this and God demands that. Mm. And you're like, where did you, where do you find that? You know? Right, right. And, 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 and like, to be fair, maybe someone heard it in church. Yeah. And it yeah. was just like, we have an open mic policy, <laughs> you know, in our church. <laughs> and so someone can actually teach something that might not be scripturally accurate. You know, and we took it as like, a, oh, yeah, well, my Sunday school teacher told me, and I'm like carrying that around. Right. And I think maybe it's helpful to like, wait, where, did, you know, to ask the questions, like, where'd you get that from? Yeah. And does that, is that in line with the God revealed in scripture? Right. right. You know, because like some of the, some of the expectations that people like attribute to God are not very nice, you know? <laughs> right, right. Like I was like, well, like I, I, I remember saying to somebody one time when they described the character of God that they, God's like, da, 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 and I said back to him, I was like, well, I don't think I believe in that God either. Right. If I were you, because you've made him really, really unkindly demanding. Yeah. You know? I, I've heard people say before, ask, ask a non-believer what they think about God. And then, and then your probable response to that non-believer is, I don't believe in that God either. Like yeah. the, what, what you just described is not the God I see revealed in, in scripture, both ancient and modern revelation. Right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, and I, uh, connected with this idea of these standards that we sometimes set up for ourselves and we attribute to God is sort of the image that we've created about ourselves that we're trying to maintain and um, uphold. Now, I don't want to. I don't want to get too like nerdy about this, but I got to read this quote from Stephen Hayes, who I just referenced a second ago. I'll let you know if you cross. Okay, the line. you tell me if you, you cross. The line. <laughs> <laughs> okay, ready? Here we go. <laughs> okay, the conceptualized self is you as the object of summary verbal categorizations and evaluations. Okay, cross that's the line. That's <laughs> the line. <laughs> Okay, he's going to explain it. Okay, he says this. It is the verbal I am self, as in I am old, I am anxious, I am kind, I am mean, I am lovable, I am sweet, I am beautiful, and so forth. So uh, because we use language as humans, we develop these concepts around ourselves. And I would add, we often attach worth to them and um, a sense of identity to them. And then when those get threatened, it can cause lots and lots of pain. In fact, Dr. Hayes says, in terms of trapping you and your sufferings, the conceptualized self is the most dangerous. Uh, just like um, like this, this sweet woman at the state conference you were referencing, it would it'd probably would be really painful for her just to utter the words, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, right? But actually it's kind of liberating to not have to always withhold some kind of false standard about ourselves. So uh, can I ask a, ask a question? Please, yes, okay. yes. 
So you would say it would be painful for her to say I'm not enough because maybe she gets her worth and identity from being enough. Is that like is that yeah. is that what the where the conflict is? Right. In there? Yeah, and and it, and what can kind of give us some emotional space and freedom is to say like sometimes I do what's right and sometimes I make mistakes. Rather than trying to defend a certain kind of conceptual self, it's just helpful to try to be honest and try to get better, which is what Brad Wilcox said is the definition of worthiness means I'm honest and I'm just trying to get better. Yeah. Which seems, you know, like, oh, I wasn't good enough at that moment. But instead of making blanket, broad categorizations about our worth, we ins- mm. we just say, you know what, at that moment I wasn't what I should be, but I'm trying to trying to get better. Right. Yeah. We need a sense of self that's stronger than sort of the cheap senses of self that we give ourselves, like smart, beautiful, you know, uh, maintain some arbitrary religious standard that I've given myself. Right. And we'll get to those senses of self in, in just a second here, but we need something stronger than that, those kinds of uh, weak sense of self. Well, I, he has that line right after where we were reading where he says, we're measured by our personal devotion to God that we manifest in our efforts to follow him in faith. Like that actually like really, that feels like a really liberating line to me, right? You're just personal devotion. And he uses a phrase later where it's like, our best is good enough. And we were talking earlier about, I mean, that phrase good enough, uh, uh, man, it's, it's a little bit loaded because I would feel uncomfortable to some degree like I've to some degree to say, um, Oh, it's good enough. Like the way I would turn in projects in school. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't ever right, really right. struggle with perfectionism. I don't think, you know, and, uh, and I would turn stuff in, in school all the time under the, you know, under the standard of good enough. Right. Right. You know, but I would feel, I'm, I feel uncomfortable giving an offering to God. That's, um, Labeled the same way, right? right? right. Good enough. Right. And I don't think that's what he's saying. No. He's not necessarily saying... I think he's talking to people who struggle with obsessiveness over perfectionism where he's saying like, listen, give your best. Like that's what he's asking for. I think is the translation, you know, of of that line. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And let's unpack that. He says this. He says, Elder Stanfield says, remember that perfectionism is not the same as being perfected in Christ, right? And so when we say good enough, I think what we mean is I have covenant relationship with Jesus Christ and I'm going in the right direction. And if those things are true, then we are declared guiltless, we are accepted of God, and we just continue in that direction and we can consider ourselves on the path to ultimate perfection in Christ. Steve Robinson, who wrote Believing Christ, uh, which is a fantastic book, he says, he basically kind of a, has the same vibe, right, absolutely. Right, and he and he divides up perfection in, in Christ in two ways that I think are really helpful. He says ultimate perfection in Christ comes later in the next life. And in my reading of most people who talk about perfection in Christ, they mean someday I'll be perfected through the merits and mercy and grace of Jesus Christ in this ultimate sense. Meaning like I'm, I become a person who's fully compassionate and fully merciful and fully, right, okay. Right, yes, absolutely. And then, and that's a one day, 
Like someday I'll reach that. Yeah. Right. Yes. But then he also talks about sort of our covenant perfection in Christ that happens the minute we make a covenant with Jesus of Nazareth. And the analogy that Steve Robinson uses is that if you take someone who is in debt and they marry someone who has lots and lots and lots of money, then that debt, um, it swallows up all of that. Sorry, the, the wealth swallows up all that money. And now- The moment you say I right, do. Yes, let me say that right. The wealth swallows up the debt, right? The mo- And so now you are in a covenant relationship and so you're declared clean. It doesn't mean you're perfect in that ultimate sense, but it means you have a covenant relationship with him and you're considered clean before God, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Or declared guiltless. Which right? I think would be really helpful for people to like think through and understand that w- one thing I would say to that lady in state conference, bless her heart, <laughs> whoever she is, we're like using her as the mascot <laughs> of this episode. Um, but she represents so many of our thoughts that she just said out loud, right? right. But um, like we are all that woman at some point, right? right? Yes. Where yes. she just says, am I good enough? And if, if the question is, am I good enough to be saved? She ought to understand that per that mm. that second per kind of perfectionism that you talked about. Right. Where it's like, oh, um, yeah, right. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes. Um, right. You 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 entered into covenant relationship with with the Savior. You received his gift of salvation and his gift of grace, like purchased on the cross. So yes, absolutely. Um, Yes. So yeah, let me let me then re- change my answer because you're saying it better than I was saying it. I would say no by yourself. Oh yeah, yeah, right, right, and, right. And Jesus, yes, right. That's and and that's the good news, right? Yeah, that's yeah. Christianity 101, right? Uh, Elder, so oh, go ahead. No, no, you go. Well, I was going to say this line has always been helpful to me that um, salvation is the work of Jesus, hmm. right? Um, what requires our heart, might, mind, and strength is discipleship. Hmm. And I think understanding the differentiation there where it's like, oh, now my, my, I'm, my salvation's secure in Jesus. So now why don't I live a faithful life, an obedient life, a striving life, like in my efforts to be a better disciple? Like I just want to be, a li- I just want to keep getting better. Hmm. Almost as a reflection and a response to him setting me free. Absolutely. Right now, the rest of my life, I actually was like, I, I the reason I'm uncomfortable with like, uh, good enough is I wouldn't give God a good enough, right. you know, like, pro, like third grade project kind of gift because I was like, oh, love actually, I think demands a little bit more. Like I would never give Jenny like a good enough anniversary <laughs> gift, you know, it's like, was this fine? You know, is right. it, are you cool if I like, right. what's the minimum standard for like, <laughs> you know, a kind of gift here? Like I, I actually want to like think through it and give her something meaningful and kind because like, like love demands it right. of me. Like I, I want to, I want like, does that I, make sense? Yeah. And that gift is a reflection of the life direction you've chosen to make Jenny yeah, yeah. at the center of your life, to yeah. love her perf- the best you can. And that's what we're doing as a response to God's love. Elder Stanfield, he says this, we must remember that whatever our best but imperfect offering is, the Savior can make it perfect. Yeah. No matter how insignificant efforts may seem, we must never underestimate the Savior's power. A simple word of kindness, a brief but sincere ministering visit, or a primary lesson lovingly taught can, with the Savior's help, provide comfort, soften hearts, and change eternal lives. Our clumsy efforts can lead to miracles, and in the process, we can participate in a perfect harvest. Our job is just to do something small, consistent, sincere. We just bring a few loaves, 
you know, and a few fish and, and that's it. Yeah. Right. And God, and, and the deal is way unfair. We offer a little bit and then he gives us way more than we deserve for our, our efforts. Yeah. And maybe that's part of the problem is we just can't accept a gift very well. You know, we're just so used to earning and deserving everything that maybe we need to put ourselves in the, in a perspective of like, Hey, accept a gift, like allow yourself to be that loved. You know, allow his standard of the way he sees you, you know, I, and anyone who's a parent has an advantage here because they can just, or anyone who loves somebody else, I guess we can expand that circle even wider, can see that. You know, what would you, what would you demand out of, you know, a relationship that you're in from a person? And, and, I, and I think that can help us get a perspective where you're like, oh, yeah, I see, I can see how... Sometimes the way you love someone helps you get a window, a glimpse into the way he loves you, and it gives you that sort of like, oh, yeah, okay. No question. I can be, yeah, I can be softer yeah. on myself. I think, I, I absolutely, I think perfectionism is a well-intended, um, but, right. but it's well-intended, but I think it leads to kind of a self-absorption. But when we uh, see the kind of God as revealed by Jesus of Nazareth on, on the cross— who loves us and accepts our best efforts and accepts our life directions, right? Yeah. Uh, this is what ha happens. Um, uh, see Terry Warner from one of my favorite books. It's called Bonds That Make Us Free. He says, self-absorption diminishes our capacity to give ourselves with abandon to other people, to our work, to play, to God, and to the beauty of nature. And when we connect with the love as manifested by the Savior, we are then freed up to give ourselves uh, completely to all the goodness in, in this world. Ah, that kind of stuff just like makes me like, ah, I love to live in that kind of way. Amen. Super reviving. All right, we'll see you all next week.